0: Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. To the future, we are getting ready to move into a new year, and I don't know if it's a sign of getting older, but it feels like time is going by super fast. It's like, what happened to 2023? Uh, my wife, Missy, she said that when we had kids that she had heard that the days will become long, but the years will become short. And I feel like that's so true. It feels like, man, it's just this whole year has gone by in a snap. And tomorrow, we turn the page on our calendar, and it is the year of our Lord, 2024. Some of you need to think right now back to your high school years and that year you graduated and then you can do the math and you can be like, wow, I'm getting older. <laughs> I'm getting older. Time is going by. And so I'm excited as we enter a, a, a new year, um, not because tomorrow is when all of the gyms are going to be packed. Not because those of you who own exercise equipment are going to dust it off for the first time in a year and be like, I'm getting back on the horse. Not because you're going to go home and you're going to throw away all of those leftover Christmas goodies. All of that happens tomorrow. And, and why does it happen? It's because it's a new year. And, and there's this feeling that a lot of people have that a new year means it's time to introduce to the world a new me. Watch out, world. Here I come, the new, the better, the improved, the upgraded version, the best version of me, I've got some new year goals. I got some resolutions. There's some things that I'm going to change in my life to become better. Now, I can tell by looking at some of your faces that some of you are anti-resolutions. Some of you, I can just tell you, you've got this look like, uh-huh, uh-huh, pastor, you can go change. You can be that new person next year. I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing. I'll be me, you be you. Let's all stay in our lanes. But here's what I would have to say is that I think that it is good for all of us to make some resolutions, even if you don't keep them. And here's why. When you make some resolutions, that means that you're looking at the future optimistically. It means that you believe that life can actually change, that you can change, that you can become better, that that the way things have been doesn't have to be the way things remain, that I was or am this way, but I believe Through the power of God's Holy Spirit, combined with my discipline and that formation, I can become a better version of me. You know what? My best days aren't behind me. My best days are in front of me. I'm not settling. I'm not done. No, I'm still becoming. So I think it's good to make resolutions even if you don't keep them because it means that you are optimistic about your future. And for those of you who are like, No, I don't make resolutions. You're the pessimistic people in my life that I'm trying to, like, encourage. Like, come on, stop being so negative. Well, no, I don't want to make resolutions that I'm not going to fulfill. Well, okay, Debbie Downer. Okay, negative Nancy. All right, Karen, it's time to step up. We are not going to act this way. There is more for you. God is not done with you. And I don't know if you know this or not. You may not be making any resolutions, but God has some resolutions for you. There's some things God wants to accomplish in your life next year. Well, I don't want to accomplish anything. Well, you're not in step with what God's trying to do. Oh, burn. Pastor Alex, I thought we were just going to have a day of rejoicing, looking at 2023 and being like, yay, we made it. No, we look back and we are thankful that we have made it this far. But we look forward and realize the finish line is not in our past, but it is still ahead of us. How can we continue to progress to God's best for us? So today is the day that I, as your pastor, put on my coaching hat, and I get in your face, and I push buttons, and I try to make you get ready for a new year, a better you. So if you have a way of taking notes, today's the day to take notes I think that you'll have a better spot in heaven for it, and it'll also help pass the time. You need to take some notes because this is a message I believe can change your life if you're willing to embrace it. Optimistic about the future. Does optimistic about the future mean the same thing as being faith-filled? I would say that there's a difference between having faith and having optimism, but I do believe that if you have a proper faith and believe the things that God has said, that you will be optimistic about your future because he says... It's going to get better in the end. It'll be better when you're with me. And that's not happened yet. That's still in the future. Optimistic. I want to approach the future excited, with joy. I don't want to approach the future, uh, another year, more of the same. No, no, no. God wants to do something new in you. I I, I love what we read in Romans chapter 4 about Abraham. You remember Abraham. He had many sons. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. In, in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. It says that Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life. Do you believe in that God? He's the God who brings the dead back to life. Good news for some of you. He can bring you back to life. He can bring some life to you. He is restricted by nothing. Abraham, th- I mean, this is like beginning, first first book of the Bible, Genesis, this is way before Jesus, he believed in a God who could bring the dead back to life, and not only that, he's a God who creates new things out of nothing. What? How does he do that? He's God. I don't know. I don't know how he does it, but he's God, and here's what Abraham believed. He believed in a God who could bring dead things back to life. That means he always had hope. Oh, no, it's dead. Oh, so sad. No, no. My God can bring this back to life. I can't see a future. God can bring something out of nothing. It goes on. Even when there was no reason for hope, like when the logical, hey, let's make up a list of pros and cons. I can't think of any pros. He still hoped. Even when there's no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. He believed that he would become the father of many nations. It's a promise that God made him, and he just... I don't know why. I'm 100 years old. I don't think this is going to work, God. But I'm going to keep hoping. I believe. Are you full of belief, hope, faith, conviction as you enter into a new year? Man. In Isaiah, I, I love this. In Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 through 19, remember, Isaiah was like, four or five hundred years before Jesus showed up on the scene. And so he doesn't know Jesus, but but he's God's spokesman to God's people, which were the Israelites. And so through him, God was presenting messages to try to encourage the people. And so through Isaiah, he says this, he says, do not call to mind the former things or ponder on the things of the past. We could sit around and all get nostalgic. But he says, do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something, what? New. New. Don't you love new? You don't like used Christmas gifts. You like new Christmas gifts. You want God to do something new in your life. Behold, I will do something new now. When? Now. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? Here's what God does. I'll even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That doesn't make no sense. Why would we put a river in the desert? Because he's God and just to show he can. You feel like your life's a wilderness? It's a little sandy? It's a little bleak? He'll put a river in your life. He's doing something new. He's not done. He's not finished. He's doing something new. And in this passage, if we actually think about the context, who's Isaiah speaking to? He's speaking to the Israelites. What would be the thing that they would call to mind of the former? What would be their past? Well, the big thing that they would have done is they would be thinking about the great exodus. You guys remember Moses? He has a little staff. Let my people go. Pharaoh let his people go. He led them out of Egypt. He led them out of slavery through the Red Sea, on a destination path of the promised land? That's what they would have called back. They rewrote their whole calendar to celebrate every single year the Exodus, the fact that we have celebrated that God has redeemed us, the Passover. Isaiah says, I know that you guys think about that and you ponder that a lot, but I don't want you to recall the Exodus as God's primary way of showing you his power because he's still showing you his power in new ways today. In the Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges, here's what we read from Jay Skinner. He says that in this passage, it's not meant, of course, that the exodus shall be actually forgotten. We're not saying forget about what God did in the past because we're going to read in Isaiah 46, 9, a few chapters later, that we're going to talk about this. We're not forgetting it, but, but only that we're, we're bringing it back to memory that it shall no longer be the supreme instance of Jehovah's redeeming power. If the Israelites were told to not look back on their salvation from Egypt as God's only instance of redemption, by application, perhaps, as believers, we should not look back to our salvation, our personal exodus from sin, as God's only movement in our life. We should be expecting Him to continue to move and show in power and show in glory what He's doing now. Oh, I prayed and accepted Jesus 30 years ago. That's cute. Has he not done anything in your life in the last 30 years? If he's not, you've not been paying attention. You've not been cooperating. He wants to do more than just save you. He's not done. As we enter a new year, how are you looking at God? Oh, I'm just so thankful for what he did in my life. Great, be thankful. But let that fuel faith for the future because he's the same yesterday, today, and in 2024. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Mm. so good so good I'm not a person to amen in church but if I was out there under my breath I'd be like all right amen what does amen even mean let it be yeah let it be so pastor let it be so if you want to go and start getting vocal with me that'd be fun today all right yes come on All right. You guys know this to be true. So we got to bring back to reality. We we know that like, all right, change, Pastor Alex. We want to embrace it. God wants to lead me into change. I want to get in step with him. I want to change. All right. That's easier said than done, right? Like, let's say you're like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be different in the new year. All right. We we all know this stat. Uh, This is from thebusinessinsider.com. It says that 80% of new year's resolutions fail by the second week of February. You know, so you're like, I'm gung-ho, we're going to be like God this next year, and then I didn't even make it to February. We didn't even make it to Valentine's Day. Why is it that when we try to change, we don't change? Have you ever thought about this? Like, you know you should change. You actually know the things to do in order to change, but you don't do it. Have you ever thought about why you don't change? I have spent some time thinking about this, and here's what I have discovered. The reason that we don't change is because the most consistent thing in our life is inconsistency. It ain't changing much. You continue to be inconsistent. I'm going to do this. I'm going to read the Bible this year. How'd you do? Some of you did good this year. Some of you were on our Bible reading plan, and I just, I'm going to golf clap you. That was so good. You did it. If Chastity's in the room, man, she commented on like 500 days this year, and there's only 365 days. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. If you want to join us on a Bible reading plan, I'll give you that opportunity before we're done today. But the reason we don't change is because the most consistent thing in our life is our inconsistency. And here's the problem. When we're inconsistent, it leads to insecurity in us. I set a goal, and I want to be this, and then I'm not this, and I'm failing, and I'm, I'm sometimes taking on the identity of a failure, Although failure's out here, I think that I'm a failure because I've been inconsistent and that makes me feel a little insecure. Maybe I can't really change. Maybe God really hasn't came into my life. Maybe I'm not really new. Maybe God's Holy Spirit's not really active in me. Maybe I'm just a big nobody that can't make a difference and I just need to settle for the old way that I was. When you're inconsistent and you try to change, you try to stop this bad habit, you try to start this new habit and you're inconsistent, all of a sudden you begin to feel insecure. And what's the problem with insecurity? Anybody know? Insecurity leads to discouragement. You don't want to continue to go. I don't want to try again. And the goal of discouragement, of course, is for you to quit. When you're discouraged, if you let it run its course, you quit. Did you know that the devil would like to discourage you? He would like you to quit. So, in order to get you on this pathway, all he's got to do is help you be a little bit inconsistent. Oh, I'm, I, I, not doing what I know I'm supposed to do. I feel a little insecure. I don't even know if I can continue to do this. I'm discouraged. And when you're discouraged and you feel like quitting, guess what? We've just met. Temptation. Oh man. I feel like I've been on this cycle before. I want to do it, I don't do it. I don't feel good about myself. I get discouraged. I feel like quitting. And now there's temptation. I feel like desire to stop. What happens when we don't resist the temptation? What happens when we don't flee from it? We compromise. We say, I know that this was what I wanted to do, but I can't seem to do it. So I'll do something less than. I know that maybe God expects this, but I can't do it, so I will compromise and do less than. This is a horrible cycle to be on. Have you ever been there? Have you gone around that pool a few times, taken a few laps down that? What you need to know is that our enemy, Satan, would love nothing more than for you and I to compromise, to compromise our commitment to Christ and to make it less than, to compromise our morality and to make justifications for our sin. He would love nothing more for us to to compromise our commitment of marriage or our commitment to sexual purity, to, to compromise our ethics at work and how we interact with people. He would like nothing more than for us to compromise our love one for another. See, Satan does not want you to reach God's best for your life. God's got something for you. He's got a plan for your life. He wants you to get in step and get you there, but guess what? Satan doesn't want you to get there. There's going to be obstacles, hurdles. It's going to be a fight. There's going to be some ups and downs. It's not going to be a linear, nice progression. We're not going to graph it as just up and to the right. No, it's a weird pathway because there's obstacles and there's hindrances and there's parts of your life in which you're not going to succeed. But the whole goal here is for us to continue to go towards God, that no matter how I mess up, I promise to get back up and keep following him. Because Satan wants nothing more than for you to compromise and not reach God's best in your life. And here's how Satan will mess with you. There's five lies that he's going to try to plant in your head to lead you to compromise. Some of you may be believing these lies. The first lie that Satan tells you is, I can't. He wants you to get in your head, I can't. I can't be all that God wants. I can't be used by him. I, I, I can't quit this addictive behavior. I can't fill in the blank." The first lie that the devil wants you to believe is that I can't. Because the truth of the matter is that with God, all things are, oh, that's right. So when you're sitting around saying, I can't, that's not from God. It's the enemy putting a seed in you that will eventually lead to compromise. Number two, next lie Satan uses, God won't. God won't. God won't do what he really said. I know that God said that he'll care for me as a sheep, he'll care for me as a child. I've been adopted into his family, but I don't don't believe that God really will. So so God won't fill in the blank. It's a lie. God will do everything that he said he'll do. Just may not look the way that you thought it would look. He's faithful way more than we are. Lie number three, ah, nobody cares. It's a lie of the devil doesn't matter what I do. Nobody cares. It's, I'm, I, it's not significant. You know, no, nobody cares. No, 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 that's a lie. See, when you're a believer, you're a part of the body of Christ. You and I are connected. And when you struggle in sin, it affects the body. Uh, the Bible uses the illustration of the human body. Um, if you were to um, hit the back of my hand with a hammer... Only the back of my hand would have received the blow. But guess what the rest of my body is going to do? It's going to react. And it's not going to be good. Like everything else stops. And I think about the great pain that is occurring, radiating from the back of my hand. Nothing else gets to function. Nothing else gets to work. Nothing else is able to do what it's supposed to do because this has been hurt. When you are a part of the body of Christ and you're not doing what you're supposed to do because you don't think anybody cares, no, no, we all care. We're all connected. We're all part of the same body. It's important for you to know that we care. And when you start to believe nobody cares, that's not from God. That's not how he set things up. You're not independently trying to serve Jesus. You're a part of a body. And nobody cares is a lie of the devil. Another lie is I don't matter. I'm insignificant. I don't matter. A little me, poor me. No, no, no. Get off of that path. That path leads to suicidal thoughts. That path leads to a place in which you try to self-medicate. You do matter. You do matter. And number five, this is a lie that I I think some of us in this church may be struggling with, is that we think that it's just too late. Like, you know, my ship has sailed. My chance to make the big difference was... In my past. I I I can't I can't I can't do all that I could do or want to do. It's it's too late. Can I remind you we serve a God who brings dead things back to life? It's not too late. That's a lie of the enemy. So I'm telling you all these things so that you can be on guard today because I don't want anything to hinder you in your forward movement to God's best for you. And some of you may have been believing one of these five lies that the devil tries to plant in your head. Maybe you've been taking some laps around the pool of defeat and you've been inconsistent and insecure and discouraged and you've been tempted and you've compromised. So what do you do? What do you do when you're in that position? Well, I think Romans chapter 12 verse two in the message paraphrase says it pretty well. Why don't you uh, say this first line with me? fix your attention on god you've been believing a lie you've not been doing what you're supposed to do hey here's the fix fix your attention on god what happens when i fix my attention on god oh it tells us how good is that you'll be changed from the inside out most of us are trying to change the outside We're trying to change things out here, thinking that once those things are there, then I'll be what I'm supposed to be. God says, no, that's not how it works. The only way for these outside things to change is for you to change in here. When you become the right kind of person, then these things can become what they ought to be. He changes you from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. This morning, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to Like, this is is a good Sunday unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity here's what God does God brings the best out of you and I like this last line developing well-formed maturity in you what does God want from you? well-formed maturity I want that I want that when life situations occur, I don't respond like a teenager. When life things throw my way and I'm not ready for it, that I respond with well-formed maturity. I'm not quick to react. I'm not emotional. I can respond with well-formed maturity. So as we move to the future, 2024, if you want to have the best year that you've ever had spiritually, there are three things that you're going to need to do. In fact, I guarantee you that you will have the best year you've had spiritually if you'll do these three things. Are you ready to take some notes? Some of you are like, I already have filled the page up of notes. You're doing too much, Pastor Alex. Here we go. This is the practical part. Just turn the page. Scroll. Number one, if you want to have the best year you've had spiritually, you need, you need to, number one, put God first. Put God first. Pretty simple. Matthew six thirty three says, but seek... First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Seek first. If we want the best year we've had spiritually, it begins simply by putting God first. And you can tell a lot about a person by what they do first. Because what they do first is reflection of their priorities, of what's most important to them. Now, um, if, if, if God... Is in your life, but he isn't first. I don't mean to be unkind, but he isn't in your life. You say that again, some of you are like, what? If you believe God is in your life, but he's not first, I hate to tell you this, he's not in your life because God will only fill one spot. He doesn't take second he doesn't take third, he doesn't take any spot, there's only one spot that God will reside in, and that's the first spot. So if you don't have God as the first spot in your life, I hate to tell you this, you have a form of religion, it has no power, you might have felt that, but the only way to have the powerful form of religion that God provides is when God is number one. And you say, well, what kind of deal is this? Who does this God think he is? Well, okay, he's God. But here's the thing about God, he's not like this chauvinistic, prideful, arrogant dictator. We sometimes picture him funny. He has every right to call for first place in our life because he models for us what he expects of us. And he was the first one to give his first to us. He gave his one and his only son. He went first and gave the most important thing he had. He has every right to expect For you to give him first place in your life. Some people think that being a Christian is just like praying a prayer or adhering to a certain list of beliefs. Christianity is way more than that. Christianity is reorienting your whole life with Jesus in the center of it. And that's a process, and it's a daily battle. Because every morning I wake up, I'm back in the center of my universe. And every day I've got to get out of the center of my universe, get off of the throne of my life, and allow Jesus to sit there and to rule and to reign. It's the battle. Christianity, it's not just a prayer I prayed in the past. It's not just a list of beliefs I believe. No, it's getting off of the throne, reorienting my life around him. If you're going to have the best year that you've had spiritually, number one, you've got to put God first. Number two, you've got to give God then, The first of everything. You want to have the best year you've had spiritually? Give God the first of everything. In Leviticus 27.30 it says that a tithe of everything, not just money, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, the tithe belongs to who? The Lord. In fact, the tithe is holy to the Lord. It is set apart to not give him Attempt to not give him a tithe is to steal from God what is his. Deuteronomy 14.23 helps us to understand why we tithe. See, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in first place in your life. Why do we do this? Why do I go through this? Why do I give? Why do I tithe? Well, because it makes sure that he remains in first place. So what if in 2024, we gave God the first of everything? What if if in the first of our day, we were to seek God? Beginning of the day, before I do anything else, I seek God. And we don't have to be legalistic about this. If you have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. If you've got to get yourself a coffee in order to stay awake, go get yourself a coffee. We're not being legalistic like, well, you know, and I, I used to try to do this, and it's still fun. I still try to do it, that before my feet hit the ground out of the bed, I want to thank God. It's really hard, especially when you've got to go to the bathroom. It's like, oh, God, thank you. <laughs> but I want the first thing that I'm doing in my day to honor him. That I'm not going to do anything significant in my day without first seeking God. We get the picture of this in Psalm 63, verse 1, where it says, O oh God, you are my God, early will I seek you. Time matters, priority matters, order matters. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. When we study the scriptures, we learn that Jesus himself chose to seek God at the first of his day. Mark one thirty-five says that very early in the morning. I like how that's there. It's not just early in the morning. No, no, no. Very. Some of you wake up very early. I, I talk to some of you, and you're like, yeah, I got to get to bed. And I'm like, it's 8. You're like, yeah, but you don't understand. My day starts very early. Jesus, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. If the Son of God needed to connect with the Father before he started his day, how much more do you and I? You're not the Son of God. I think we need to have that connection. When you speak to God first, it's not like, I I like to talk to him at my lunch break. You should still talk to him on your lunch break. I like to read the Bible before I go to bed. You should still do that. We're not giving up those things in place of this. We're saying that at the beginning of our day, we want to start by seeking the Lord. And I believe that if you'll begin to do this, it will change you. It matters. Last year, we did a uh, Bible reading plan as a church. A number of you participated. We went through the Bible in one year. It was fun. Uh, It was a lot of scripture. Some of you are like, I have never had that much scripture in my life in one day. And we had some fun videos from the Bible Project that would break down different parts of the, the, the Hebrew understanding of certain words. Or uh, We also had like intro videos for each book of the Bible. As we enter 2024, I want to invite you to participate in a new Bible reading plan with us. This will take place on your phone. You'll download the YouVersion app, and we'll all be in it. We can comment during it, but I want us to slow down this year. I want us to take our time reading Scripture And so for the next 365 days, starting tomorrow, we're going to read just through the New Testament together. So you say, well, how much time is this commitment going to be, Pastor Alex? It's going to be five minutes or less for the scripture reading of the day. That's it, five minutes or less. If you're interested in participating, I'll put a QR code right there, and those of you who know how to use that, you can scan it. If you don't know how to use it, I got you covered too you open up your Safari or your web browser for you non-Apple people, and you will type in newlifecaseycom slash Bible. And when you do that, it's gonna take you to a link. If you already have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, it's gonna to try to open it. And it's gonna ask you if you wanna do a Bible reading plan with Alex Moore. That's me. And you say, yes, I want to do it. And then we will read the Bible, the New Testament together for the next 365 days. I'm just offering it to you. It's a suggestion. If you don't have a plan to read the Bible, then you're not going to read the Bible. You have to plan to read the Bible. Otherwise, you just don't do it. Uh, So so five minutes a day. But but what would happen if in addition to five minutes of reading the Bible each morning, you said, you know what? I'm going to take an extra five minutes to just worship the Lord. You could pull up YouTube. You could pull up your Spotify. You could pull up your Apple Music. That's one worship song. How might it change your perspective on the day before you go to work, before you do anything significant? You've spent time in Scripture and you spent five minutes just worshiping the Lord. On Christ alone, the cornerstone. You sang these words I'm going to build my life on the cornerstone of Him. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, three in one. I could listen to a song and begin to infiltrate my head and my thoughts with truth before I walk out the door. Five minutes of Bible, man, that would be awesome. If you did five minutes of worship, and then if you just added five more minutes, a prayer. What if you gave 15 minutes at the beginning of each day? Say, you know what? I'm going to seek God first. It's up to you. It's not legalistic. You don't have to, but you get to, and I think it's worth it. If you want to have the best you've ever had spiritually, you've got to seek God first, the first of your day. Next, we need to give him the first of our week. We need to worship him. Isn't it interesting what's the first day of the week, everybody? Oh, yeah, that's the day that we are on. It's interesting that we used to have um, in, in the... Faith, the the day of worship used to be Saturday. It was the end of the week. Everybody work, and then we worship on Saturday. that's what the Jews would do. But then that changed, primarily because Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday. And we're like, hey, let's celebrate that. That's good. But also the idea that before we do any work, if you think about the Genesis account, Adam was created on day six. The first day of his existence was day seven, which was a day of rest. What if... We began our week before we entered into work by worshiping the Lord, coming together as a church. Take it a step further, make it a Sabbath, a day of rest. What if we started our week this way? Acts 20, verse 7 says that on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. We need to not forsake coming together. Hebrews ten twenty five says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. First, day of the, first of my day, I'm gonna seek the Lord. No one and nothing else is gonna get the time that I have until I have my time with the Lord. The first of the week, I am going to worship God together with my church family. Next, how about the first of the month? I like the idea of the first of the month. Some people are paid monthly. Some people are paid weekly or or bi-weekly. But the idea of the first of the month is that I'm going to bring my tithe to the Lord. We read this verse earlier, Leviticus Leviticus 2730, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the tree. It belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Uh, The idea of a tithe, that means a tenth. And so it's not just any tenth. But it, the, the order matters. It's the first tenth that is the tithe that belongs to the Lord. And when we put him first, the rest of our life is going to be filled with order and provision and blessing. Some people, when they're, they're talking to me about tithing first, they say, Well, wait a second, Pastor Alex. Um, For me to give God the first 10% of my income first before I pay any other bill, I I would have to utterly rearrange every aspect of my life to do that. And my response would be, exactly. That's the the whole point of this. We are choosing to rearrange our whole world so that we are putting God first. Now this morning we're going to be receiving a special year-end offering that we're calling to the future. That we pray is going to enable us as a church to steward the blessing of having a permanent facility that comes with certain demands and maintenance upkeep. In addition to that one-time offering that we're going to receive, we're also inviting everyone who who gives regularly to the church. You you already tithe, maybe give an offering to consider going above and beyond your standard giving. If you're not tithing yet, man. Make 2024 the year that you step over that line and say, you know what, I'm gonna trust God fully. As we read in Deuteronomy, tithing helps make sure we keep God first in our life. I'm so thankful that I was taught tithing as a child growing up in church. From the time I was getting an allowance, I've always given 10%. And then it got exciting to say, well, can I give more? I want to give above just the 10%. I want to give an offering. And so I, I was excited to be able to do that. And then, then we used to have missions conferences and say, hey, do you want to give towards missions? It was like, yeah, I want to give towards missions. I want to help Jesus' name be lifted up across the world. Then all of a sudden there was an opportunity to give towards a building. We built onto this facility uh, just about 13 years ago. And and it was like, yeah, we're going to give. And a lot of you guys were involved in these extra things that went above and beyond. Well, where we're at is we would love for you to consider how to go above and beyond. I I know for me, and this was a conviction for me about a year ago, tithing wasn't... When you first tithe, it's like, I don't know if I can do this. This is really hard. Like, I have to rearrange my life. 10%, holy smokes, that's a lot of money. Look at how much money that is. But then after you do it for a while and you receive God's blessings that are on the other side of it, some of you, I know you've said this, you're like, I can't imagine not tithing. Like, I, I, I just... I'm better getting rid of that and having God take care of me than if I was to hang on to that and try to manage it myself. And some of you are like, yeah. And so you continue to tithe, but, but tithing isn't as challenging now as it used to be for some of you. When you started, it was faith. I don't know how it's going to work. I got to trust God. But now it's like, it's no big deal. Some of you got it so automatic. It's just, I don't even think about it. I just, yeah. And it's just this thing. I, what if what if giving isn't supposed to just be a thing that we do, a box that we check? But what if there's supposed to be a faith element in it? So, for some of you, maybe you've been giving 20% of your income. You're like, Yeah, a tithe. God's blessed me, and I'm already given offering. Is it possible that you could go above and beyond, outside of just systematic giving, and say, You know what? I want to give sacrificially. I'm going to say no to something else in my life to say yes to being able to help support what God's doing. Could you go to 21%? Some of you are like, I have, What are you talking about? I've given like 1% in the past. Hey, Maybe start with the 10. If that's too much, take a step in the right direction. Let's go more. Let's put more trust in God. And here's what happens. That money comes in here. What do we use it for? Uh, Ministry, to help people, to spread the gospel, to have opportunities to minister to people. So so this pledge is for those of you who are already giving, you're already faithful in that way, but is it possible for you to go above and beyond in the new year? And, and here's the reason I'm asking for us to go above and beyond. There's three goals that we have as a church this year. Number one is we want to increase our community outreach. We want to make a difference, and we want to reach new people. Um, within uh, about three miles of the church, there's 11,000 homes. It's a lot of people, and most of those people don't know Jesus. How can we help people know Jesus? There are our neighbors. They live in the houses that you drive by every day to get here to the church. How can we make a difference? How can we build a relationship? Without relationship, there is no real ministry. We have to begin somewhere. So I would love for us to increase our outreach into the community. Number two, uh, a second goal we have for the year is to see at least 50 people take next steps on the discipleship pathway. You don't even know what that is because it's not been formed yet, but it's to my head. And it's gonna be a new self-directed learning platform. and It's gonna be really exciting. It's going to be an emphasis for our church. It's going to be something that's going to help move everybody closer to Jesus. It's going to be a discipleship pathway to help you become more like him that all of us need to get on and take a next step. I'm really excited about it. I want to see 50 people take next steps on this thing that's going to be formed soon. (laughs) Feel the pressure. Change. I love it. All right, number three, last thing that we want to do. We want to give a minimum of $20,000 to missions. We want to give that not only locally, to organizations that we support like City Union Mission or Convoy of Hope that helps with disaster relief, but to our missionaries and organizations who are around the world who are going to people who have not had access to the Bible, they don't have an app on their phone, people who are in need of hearing about Jesus. We want Jesus' name to be lifted up around the world and so we want to support them and we want to give to a degree that we haven't before. So that above and beyond is going to help us to do those things. And so I want to encourage you to consider, and some of you I know have, pray, participating with us in that. Lastly, we're giving first to the Lord. The first of my year, we should fast. You heard Missy talk about that, that tomorrow um, I've invited everyone to participate in a fast. Just 24 hours. It was on November 19th in a message that I did that I asked you to consider fasting the first day of the year. And then I talked to John Lennon and he was like, hey, what do you think about like opening up the church for like prayer and worship that day? And I said, you know what? That's a great idea. I hadn't thought about that. Everybody could just starve at home, but now you can starve here together with us. (laughs) So here's how it's gonna work. We're gonna have the building open, this room from 10 to five tomorrow. Come and go as you please. If you wanna come by and say, you know what? I'm on my way running some errands, not eating, you're not going to Wendy's hey, why don't you stop by? You can pray. I'm going to have just some worship music on, opportunity for you to come sit. You can bring your Bible. You can do a little Bible study in here. You can have just a time of prayer. You can have a time of singing. Man, I don't care, but it's just a day at the beginning of a new year to say, you know what? As I enter into 2024, God, I'm putting you first. I'm saying no to something I want to say yes to something I need, which is you. I'm withholding food or whatever else. If you can't do food because of medical reasons, saying no to something you want can't be like, well, I'm going to say no to broccoli tomorrow. Well, you don't eat broccoli ever. (laughs) It doesn't count. You say, you know what? I'm going to say no to picking up my phone tomorrow. I'm going to turn it off for the whole day. Some of you guys would be like freaking out. Others of you, whatever it may be, you're saying no to something in order to say yes to the things that God would have for you. Here's how fasting works. Deny your body. Deny your body. Devote time to God, and it leads to a spirit more in tune with God's spirit. You don't have to. It's a get-to. And as I start the new year, me and my wife, we got no food tomorrow. we go on water only. We're going to have headaches. We're going to have sugar withdrawal. We're going to have caffeine withdrawal. We're going to have all of it, and we're going to love it. Because <laughs> every time those little things hit us, we're going to remind ourselves that we're not meant for this world. We want more of him and less of this. I want my desire for God to be greater than my desire for my stomach. Fasting, it disconnects us from the world while prayer connects us to God. And when we put fasting and prayer together, we'll see God do tremendous work in our lives. Joel 1.14 says, Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. We're declaring the fast. We're opening up the house. Let's start the new year putting him first. All right, so three things. To have the best year you've had spiritually. Number one, put God first. Number two, give God the first of everything. Number three, expect God to bless the rest. When you give God the first, he blesses the rest. And this is the principle of firsts, that God takes what you give him and he multiplies it. You give him your first time of your day. Somehow or another, he multiplies your time. You give him your first finances, and somehow or another, he multiplies your finances. You give him your first thoughts of the day, and somehow he multiplies your thoughts and gives you creativity and new ideas that you never had before. I don't know exactly how he does it, but he does it. When you put him first, it's like, somehow I still had time to do everything I needed to do. Somehow, my money just seemed to go further. I don't know how this works. But Proverbs 3 says this, in all of your ways... How many ways? All. All. Acknowledge him. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then, after you do that, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. When God blesses us with more than we need, it's so that we can bless others. It's important for us to know what the more is for. When we're blessed with more than we need, what are we to do with it? We're to bless others with it. When God blesses Missy and I with more, we love to give more to the church. We believe in the mission of this church. We're behind the missionaries and the organizations spreading the gospel around the world. We like to invest here. But it doesn't just stop with church. Here recently in the last month, I had a college student say, hey, uh, would, you, would you give to help me go on a missions trip? You know what? I was blessed with more. I said yes. I want to invest into you. I want to invest into what you're doing. I had a a kid who grew up in my youth ministry who's a pastor at a church who reached out and said, hey, our church is struggling. We're in a real impoverished area. Is there any way that you could give? Yes, I've been blessed with more. It's not for me to have more. It's not so I have security because I have money in a savings account. I've been given more to bless others. And it's a joy. Can I tell you? That's not my default. I'm not normally a giver. I'm like, hey, wait a second. God gave me this. Something bad's coming around the bend. I'd better hang on to it. Hot hot water heater's going out. Uh Uh-oh. Car's going to catch on fire. I better hang No, no, no. I have to learn to be a conduit of giving. God has blessed me with more. I'm able to give more. And as I do that, God says, I can trust that boy. I'll give you some more. It's not so that I have more. It's so that I can give more have to know why you're being blessed with more. And the cool thing is, is that when you put God first and you give him the first, you can't expect God to bless the rest. But here's the thing. We all have to know. God has a plan for your life, but he'll only take you as far as you allow him. Faith thrives in discomfort. Lasting change seldom arrives instantaneously. Every beginning of something new is difficult, but you'll never finish anything you don't start. And so for me, I have a burning desire to see God do something great in our church. But if we're constantly in the state of compromise, believing the lies of the enemy, we're going to miss what God has for us. And I believe that as we individually each orient our lives around Christ, then we corporately will become a powerful tool in the hands of God to affect change in a world that needs him. And maybe, just maybe, we'll be the church that Jesus spoke of that the gates of hell would not prevail against. So as I look to 2024, I am optimistic. I am full of faith. And as a pastor, I can't help but dream bigger dreams for our church and our community. I long to see more lives transformed, more hearts healed, and more individuals encountering the love of Jesus. But to make that vision a reality... I have to be willing to take a step of faith. But I alone can't do it. I'm inviting you to take a step of faith as well. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.